Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. What a week. It's a lot going on, but loving every second of it. Uh, Joining us this hour will be Jeffrey Scott Shapiro, former assistant attorney general of uh, of Washington, D.C. He's going to be giving us an idea of what's happening with the impeachment trial and Maybe we'll tap into his expertise on this scandal with the nursing homes and the new revelations I'm about to inform you on as it relates to Governor Cuomo. Uh, He's about to get a big windfall. Do you see this? New York is going to be happy. They're going to get $50 billion. $50 billion. Why? Because Joe Biden is president and not Donald Trump. They are a $60 billion hole. And believe it or not, tax revenue is not off by much. And they're still going to just get this big payout. Crazy. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Over 9,000 recovering COVID-19 patients were sent to nursing homes in New York and that 15,000 facility residents died from the virus in the state. That is up 40% from the 8,900 initially reported. That's the beginning of a huge story. Cuomo's cowardly cover-up. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, top aide, admits in a call she never wanted to get out that they covered up nursing home deaths because they froze. They froze because they thought they were going to be attacked by Donald Trump and they'd get a DOJ investigation. This is Cuomo meets with President Biden on COVID relief. You think Biden will address this? I doubt it. Number two. Restricting the right of Americans to travel freely throughout our country while allowing illegal aliens to pour across the southern border unmolested would be a ridiculous but very damaging farce done purely for political purposes. Governor Ron DeSantis making it clear it's all about politics. You ready for this? The administration is looking at loosening, you know how they are loosened up our southern border and allowing everyone to get in and building additional facilities to house everybody, including uh, single kids coming across and 182% increase in single males. Well, eligibility rules uh, for aliens are just loosening up. But guess what? When it comes to Florida, they might start restricting travel for Floridians and those going in and out of that state. This is pure politics. They are afraid of Florida's success and afraid of their governor running for president. Number one. You know, I'm not afraid of Donald Trump running again in four years. I'm afraid he's going to run again and lose because he can do this again. Really? It's interesting. Congressman Ted Lieu, impeachment overreach for what happened on January 6th to what did Donald Trump do when he started running in 2015? Staring at another acquittal, it seems to have a there seems to be a plan B and we'll discuss that shortly. Um, so, so Jamie Raskin is uh, head of the impeachment managers, and he's obviously very smart. He does a lot of video, but yesterday I just didn't get it. 
I didn't get it. They're bringing back stuff that he said in 2015. They're bringing up stuff he said as a candidate. They're talking about things that have nothing to do with this case and saying, of course, he incited the violence. When if you look at what other people said that could be termed insightful, you don't want to go down this path. Because guess what? If the, and, and Trump's lawyers seem to be terrible. But I know the person editing a lot of the video, Maxine Waters, the whole entire squad, what Kamala Harris said, we need to have a summer of, um, of uh, protests and riots. Why would you bring all that up? Focus on January 6th and what led to it. That's what you're impeaching him for. Jamie Raskin, cut one. Incitement to violent insurrection is not protected by free speech. There is no First Amendment defense to impeachment for high crimes and misdemeanors. The idea itself is absurd. And the whole First Amendment smokescreen is a completely irrelevant distraction from the standard of high crimes and misdemeanors governing a president who has violated his oath of office. He's the, he's the Ivy League trained lawyer but and a professor. But if everything that you say in front of people, whether you're a stand-up comedian or an inspirational speaker or a reverend or a politician, if people listen to you and take action, you're responsible for their action, that to me, you'd have to shelve disbelief. So that's what they were portraying. So, okay, he, January 6th, here's the speech. January 6th, here's the speech. Here's the action. Here's what they said when you interviewed him. But then yesterday it went all off the off the track everything that they complained Donald Trump about every uh, segment on CNN and MSNBC was brought front and center for example cut to the president praised a Republican candidate who assaulted a journalist as my kind of guy he said there were quote very fine people on both sides when the neo-nazis the Klansmen and Proud Boys um, invaded the city the great city of Charlottesville, and killed Heather Heyer. And he said that an attack on a black protester at one of his rallies was very, very appropriate. The siege of the Michigan State House was effectively a state-level dress rehearsal for the siege of the U.S. Capitol that Trump incited on January 6th. It was a preview of the coming insurrection. Really? Uh, I mean, you're trying to convince Republican senators do you think they not do not know everything? Don't you think they've been on every channel defending it, defining it? Jonathan Turley, from the legal perspective, we heard the closing arguments. Was this the strongest case they could make? Cut nine. It really became quite glaring today. When you had the House manager say, look, we have the evidence of the state of mind of Trump, but then they played four years of speeches and other controversies. At one point, it sounded like they were saying that he was responsible for the kidnap conspiracy of, of Governor Whitmer. What you're sitting there thinking is like, well, well, you just impeached him for incitement to insurrection, not negligence, not for being a lousy person. You impeached him because you said that he was trying to incite an actual rebellion. That's in the article of impeachment, the 14th Amendment's language of an actual rebellion. So what Schumer's doing now on the 14th Amendment, he says they have discussed in recent weeks, if they cannot secure the 67 votes, and it doesn't look like they will, that they might invoke the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. He goes on to say, 
uh, that Congress can bar people who engage in insurrection or rebellion against the U.S. from holding office. It was originally meant to be present, get this, for former Confederates from serving in the government after the Civil War. After the Civil War, they're going to tap into that. Meanwhile, maybe that'll make Republicans happy. Uh, Nikki Haley, we understand, just broke from the president, said he, let's be honest, he let us all down. Nikki Haley wrote a book saluting the president and has been supportive of the president, who has said in the past, as of two weeks ago, we got to give, can't we give this guy a break, said that, let's be honest, he let us all down. And finally, on impeachment, here's what Trey Gowdy said should happen today, and he'll be a guest at some point in the Friday show, Cut 11. What did you do once you learned the siege had happened? And you can't show that with a video. So, you know, Brett, you can you can convince the jury that someone should not be elected again with video. You can't convince them they should be barred from running again. You need the people who called the president. What did you tell him? What was his response? Was he aware of the gravity of the situation? You need witnesses. And, and his lawyers better present a factual defense, or he needs new lawyers. But it's too late if he doesn't have new lawyers. Evidently, uh, Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz and Mike Lee came down and, and met with the lawyers and said, here's what you should get across. Because after the terrible opening that they had the other day, they said, you got to make sure to do this because you're going to make it impossible for us uh, to, or make it much harder for us to run again. You're going to make very hard, make it very hard for us to exonerate them this time. So they better cut them across. They say it's going to be a four-hour defense, which means they'll be done today. That means Saturday they have off because there's some Jewish members. I, I think one of the lawyers is Jewish. I'm not sure which one. And then Sunday they could vote. Maybe Monday or Tuesday they could vote. He'll be exonerated. We'll see where we go from here. So the other big story happened yesterday. And try to follow me on this. I know you have 50 states listening to us all across the country, and you might be listening around the world. But just know in New York, which was the first state to be besieged by this virus and no one knew it was going to hit us, Chinese still haven't told us, one of the things happened, it became very clear that the aged, the seniors, were most vulnerable, especially those with underlying conditions. Governor Cuomo made the decision and his staff to take people who had the coronavirus and keep them in nursing homes. It spread like wildfire. Countless died uh, to the tune. We thought it was 3,000. Then we heard it was 8,000. Then we heard it was 10,000. Yesterday, we found out it was 15,000. And he lied the whole time. He said, I'm going by CDC guidelines, the federal government guidelines. We found out it is not written anywhere that we, there was any guideline that says put him back into a senior facility. And then when he asked about it, he said, what, what's the big deal? They died. That's the most important thing. What's the difference that they died in the hospital or in the nursing home? Know what the answer is, Governor? We don't know because if you put him in a hospital and kept him from going back to the nursing home, maybe they would not have died. That's the key. So yesterday they had a two-hour conference call with uh, Governor Cuomo's top aide, and her name is Melissa DeRosa, at which time she said she apologized to the Democrats about this whole nursing home thing. She said, uh, she said this. If it turns out that all these people died in nursing homes, this is the president she's referring to, he starts tweeting that we killed everyone in a nursing home. And basically, we were afraid of that, so we froze because then we were in a position where we weren't sure if we were going to get the Department of Justice or what we, we what have you guys. What we're saying is we're going to be used to we're going to be used to against us. So we weren't sure if they were going to be an investigation. 
So that's her explanation to fellow Democrats in a two-hour conference call on why she did not tell them how bad things were, and it was their decision to do that. So they were complaining that they're running for re-election, and all they got is that you lied about nursing home deaths. So Rachel May of Syracuse, who was battered for a re-election for this very issue, said, quote, The issue for me, the biggest issue of all, is feeling like I needed to defend or at least not attack an administration that was appearing to be covering something up. And in a pandemic, when you want the public to trust the public health officials and there's a clear feeling they're not coming, being forthcoming with you, that is really hard. She's explaining in a nice way, you're lying and I had to lie for your lie. But here's the key. Somebody leaked this call where they're admitting they lied about the numbers and prevented those numbers from coming out. And one of the people that leaked the call more than likely is this Democratic Assemblyman, Ron Kim, whose uncle died in April because he was put back into a nursing home. That's the problem. So now he writes this. He says this, and then it's been written down. It is not enough how contrite you are. They apologized to the lawmakers. They didn't apologize to the families for what they did. This puts it in context what I'm about to read. It's not enough to say how, how, how contrite you are. They need to show that to the public and to the families. They have not done that. In addition to stonewalling lawmakers to the total number of nursing home residents killed by Cuomo's administration, including the Post, that fought a Freedom of Information lawsuit by the Empire Center of Public Policy, they never, ever apologize. And that's why this came out. And that's why that got in Janice Dean's hands, who's been fighting as our in-laws were killed within days of each other. And they never got a chance to have a funeral, meet them, tend to them, call them, talk to them. A lot of confusion those days. But that's no excuse to lie. How much coverage was done? Now, locally, we understand this is being picked up. Network news, ABC, NBC, CBS, zero seconds. How could this not be a story? Governor Cuomo meets with Joe Biden today. You think he's bringing it up? Nope. Doubt it. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. We'll talk about that. Uh, We'll also talk about California and the mess that it is and how the greatest strength for Republicans running to take back the House, Senate, and eventually the White House would be, you want a progressive state? We gave it to you. California. From the poverty level to the housing prices to people leaving the state. It is a disaster. They now lead the nations in coronavirus deaths, and they're trying to recall their governor. That's what you get when you go all Democrat and progressive. Don't move. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you think there was a mistake, then go talk to the federal government. It's not about pointing fingers or blame. It's that this became a political football. The report also says the information from nursing homes is often uh, incorrect. It doesn't mean people didn't die, and it doesn't mean people won't die today. That is the curse of COVID. Why COVID? Why did God do this? Uh, I don't know. But who cares? 33, 28, died in a hospital, died in a nursing home. They died. Does he not get that they might not have died had you not put infected patients back in nursing homes? Why did God do this? We really expect Governor Cuomo to tell us why God does anything. Joe, you're listening on WRCN. Do you believe this guy? Brian, good morning. Brian, this man, he's a, what madman would put sick people in, in, in the nursing home with the elderly when we knew they were the most vulnerable? Right from Southold in February, a platonic landing nursing home, they, it spread like wildfire on, in Southold, Long Island, on the East End. In February, we knew that. And then he gives a directive on March 25th to put them uh, in and on second, uh, into, uh, mandated them back into the nursing homes and they were prohibited from testing. That's the second part of that paragraph nobody knows in that directive. Nobody talked about prohibited. Big word in there. And on March 23rd, I believe around there, he indemnified the nursing homes with his executive order. And he, this, this man, it had to be, neg- besides negligent homicide, uh, you got to say, uh, what, what do you say, Brian, for that, what he did there? What, what do I say? I want to see him be held to account. I want to see him ask questions with a real reporter that's going to say, no, that's not true. Uh, for example, he says, well, if you have a problem with that, that's the federal government's problem. So I asked Seema Verma. I asked everybody. There's nothing in the CDC guidelines that say put him back there. But there's no ever follow-up. He gives speeches, and he says, well, you think I was happy when my dad died? I wish I could be mad at somebody, but I can't. But if you want to be mad at me, you can. What's the difference they died? I cannot believe somebody would walk around with this type of pomposity on a daily basis. And he's going for a fourth term. But as Jonathan Turley just said on television as I was coming in here, that unless you could find a written intent, they don't know if there's anything legally they can do right now, believe it or not. So I find it unbelievably disturbing. I mean, you got local uh, politicians saying uh, saying this story is is a big deal, and Republicans ask him to step down, but they're not really doing anything about it. Thanks for the call, Joe. I, I don't know what they can do. 
Uh, so Melissa DeRosa is the one who's talking, and I'm sure she's having a miserable day because she didn't expect, and I don't know why, a two-hour off-the-record conversation to go public, but that's in fact the case. So uh, what other people are saying, Elise Stefanik, Governor Cuomo, the secretary. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. To the governor and his senior team must be prosecuted immediately, both by the Attorney General of New York State and the U.S. Department of Justice, both of which uh, will not happen. This bombshell admission, that's my words, this bombshell admission is a cover-up and the remarks by the secretary to the governor indicating intent to obstruct any federal investigation is a stunning and criminal abuse of power. Uh, Another New York State Republican leader, Rob Ort, says, I am again calling for Governor Cuomo and his administration to be investigated from top to bottom. And Nick Langworthy, New York State Republican Committee chair, says Cuomo admitted to the premeditated and willful violation of state law, clearly uh, amounting to federal obstruction of justice. He has abused his power and destroyed the trust of the place, uh, the trust placed in his office. Impeachment and prosecution discussion must begin right away. Problem is, it's all Democrats. He's not getting impeached. Just as hard to impeach this governor as it would be to impeach the president. And I don't know if anybody in the press outside the New York Post will hold him accountable. Although I hear local New York affiliates are beginning to run the story. When we come back, the legal uh, the legal wranglings of impeachment and this and more. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Incitement to violent insurrection is not protected by free speech. There is no First Amendment defense to impeachment for high crimes and misdemeanors. The idea itself is absurd. And the whole First Amendment smokescreen is a completely irrelevant distraction from the standard of high crimes and misdemeanors governing a president who has violated his oath of office. Jimmy Raskin, head of the House Managers, who getting quite redundant by day three, and now this is going to be day one of the Trump team offense uh, for his defense. Jeffrey Scott Shapiro joins us now, former assistant attorney general at the District of Columbia from 2007 to 2009. Jeff, what would you rate, how would you rate uh, the House managers and their, their strategy, their case? You know, Brian, I have to tell you, contrary to what the mainstream media has said, I disagree that they've done a fantastic job. And the reason is they've made a fantastic case against the rioters. But in having done so, I think they've actually absolved the president. You know, they have really laid out a case that shows just how extreme, how rageful and how violent these people were. And when I'm watching these videos, when I'm hearing some of the comments, when I'm even seeing that someone apparently constructed a uh, a gala with a noose outside the Capitol, um, it's very clear to me, Brian, you know, that didn't happen, you know, spontaneously as the president was speaking. 
These were people who came with a predisposition. These were people who were predisposed with anger, rage, and violence, and they had a plan in their head. They knew what they were going to do when they got there. They knew there was a chance they were going to engage in these kinds of acts. They didn't need encouragement. They didn't need incitement. And I think once you go down that line, you realize that this is a conscious decision that these rioters made on their own, and they were going to do it one way or another. And in my opinion, that actually acquits the president. Uh, and if they come back and they say, well, he scheduled January 6th, he's told uh, everyone this is going to be something big. He told everyone to uh, to march down there. But your point is he didn't tell them to breach the perimeter. He didn't tell them to make a noose. He didn't tell them to hang Mike Pence. But he did say Mike Pence has got to be tough. That's exactly right. You nailed it, Brian. I mean, just because the president, you know, encourage people to come to Washington to express their First Amendment view and engage in political discourse, to maybe march down to the Capitol peacefully, which were the exact words that he used. He said, let's march down to the Capitol peacefully and cheer for good congressmen and women who are doing the right thing. I don't think the president had any idea that this was going to go the direction it did. I don't see how anyone could have rationally predicted something like this. I mean, I've prosecuted these cases, as you know, time and time again when I was up in Washington. And even I was shocked at some of the video that I saw. I've seen some of these people um, get into the Capitol and unlawfully assemble, engage in disorderly conduct or incite riots and violence. But this was very surprising. And for anyone to draw some kind of conclusion that just because you encourage people to show up to a rally, which, by the way, Brian, let's face it, that's what a rally is. You're rallying people with emotions and excitement and energy and passion that doesn't mean you're inciting them to violence. There's a huge gap there between those two things. True. Uh, so obviously, Congresswoman Diana uh, Deget uh, feels differently at a Colorado cut three. And it wasn't just that they were doing this for Mr. Trump. They were following his instructions. They said he had invited them. And in fact, as we heard, he had invited them. As one man explained on a live stream he taped from inside the Capitol, quote, our president wants us here. We wait and take orders from our president. Some of them did make statements like that. There's been over uh, close to 300 arrests that, yeah, that's what I thought. The, I did what I thought the president told me to do, what, what, I, what he said to do. How much does that factor in? I don't think it does, Brian, because this is going back to you know, the kind of interpretation we had of the First Amendment over 100 years ago in 1907 in the Patterson case, the Supreme Court determined that someone couldn't speak in a way that would create a bad tendency toward violence. And you're you're looking at a test that, you know, suggests that if the uh, subjective interpretation of the listener uh, leads to violence and the speaker is responsible. And over decades, the Supreme Court has changed their view, becoming more and more strict to avoid criminalizing speech, mainly because of civil liberties advocates, the ACLU, and a lot of liberal lawyers and civil libertarians to make sure that it is extremely difficult to hold someone accountable for someone else's actions just because of your words. Um, You know, you and I both know the District of Columbia is not the forbidden city in China. You don't need an invitation from the president to show up there. Anyone can show up there, and they do all the time on the left and the right. And just because these people may have believed that subjectively in their mind or they're using it now as a defense, it doesn't have any bearing as to whether or not the president is actually responsible for their actions. If we did that, it would change the entire landscape of legal liability in this country. So there's a sense that uh, Chuck Schumer 
has a plan B. And his plan B might be the 14th Amendment. Uh, and that by that 14th Amendment, they say, we're first going to finish the impeachment trial, and then the Democrats will get together and discuss where we go from here. Essentially, they're going to look to do something with an amendment put in place to stop Confederates from holding legal uh, holding a federal office after the Civil War. They're going to try to pass something that stops him from running again. Is this at all possible? Has this been done before? I don't think so. And, you know, you have to remember what one of the things about that plan, if he's acquitted in the impeachment trial, remember the U.S. v. Nixon case says that impeachment trials are political. It's a political question, right? And not really subject to judicial review, even though there's a little bit of leeway on that if the trial is unconstitutional, according to some of the other Supreme Court justices who ruled on that case. If they lose the impeachment trial and they try to go to some plan B, well, that's not really part of the impeachment trial, is it? And I think that that could be challenged at the U.S. Supreme Court, and I think the Supreme Court would overturn it instantly. So uh, we're going to have a vote. They say the defense only needs four hours. If I gave you four hours to take in uh, the prosecution and then to defend what you saw, including the video, what would you do? I would probably um, tell the story of the First Amendment. I would go over some of these cases explaining how the First Amendment has evolved over time. And I would actually show the example of other cases where people did much more extreme things and the U.S. Supreme Court found that it was protected speech under the First Amendment and explained how we arrived where we are. I would talk about how what the president said did not fall under that definition. And then I would do what some reports are saying the defense is going to do today, which is go back and show some of the threatening comments that Democrats have made over the last couple of years to show how easy it would be to hold anyone accountable for this on both sides if you were to go down that road. So I think that they will be able to do it in that short amount of time. I don't think they need that much time because, as I said before, I honestly don't think the House managers have made a convincing argument. What about the question portion of this? I find, you know, there's so many lawyers in there, and you see Rand Paul, you see Ted Cruz, you see how strong uh, some of these others are uh, there, uh, Lindsey Graham, and I'm sure some Democrats, but the House managers have been pretty, uh, you know, been pretty direct. If you're one of the Republicans, do you ask questions? Do you try to pressure the House managers since you are really the jury? You know, that's a good question. I mean, um, you can do that in a real trial, right? Um, you know, the jury and the judge can ask questions of, uh, of witnesses. And uh, this has been a little bit of a, a different type of impeachment trial where we haven't really seen that so far, right? We've We've seen House managers act as prosecutors. But we haven't really seen witnesses called, right? Um, <clears throat> I suppose you could do that. If it was me, I'm not sure I would even want to give them the opportunity. Um, you know, remember, being a defense lawyer, all you really have to do is knock down those bricks as the prosecution is building them. And uh, instead of giving them the opportunity to continue debating or arguing with you, I think sometimes it's better just to make your case and, and walk away from it because I think they can win. Uh, and I just don't understand constitutionally, could there be a separate vote to ban him from running for office again if, of course, he doesn't get this, you know, the Republicans don't give him the 67 votes? Only if he's convicted, my understanding is only if he's convicted after, you know, know, then they would go to a second vote. 
but I don't see how they get to step two if they fail at step one. I just can't see how that's possible. All right, uh, Jeff, great points. Uh, Jeffrey Scott Shapiro, very clear, former assistant attorney general in Washington, D.C. Jeff, thanks. Thanks so much, Brian. Have a great day. Yeah, one other thing is is clearly not good, and it looks as though Nikki Haley has broken with the president, saying, to paraphrase just a little bit, in fact, she's trending on Twitter right now, um, she says, I can't play both sides anymore. She says, at this time, I, I think that was dangerous. I think there was, was anything, uh, I didn't think there was anything to fear about him. She said, we have to be honest, uh, he has let all of us down. He went down a path he shouldn't have, and we shouldn't have followed him. We shouldn't have listened to him, and we can't let this ever happen again. But it could happen again unless, uh, so that's what her, she gave to Politico in their magazine story. I'm wondering about the timing. You know, Donald Trump is um, is atypical in many ways. He's unconventional in, uh, unconventional in every way. She known him up close and personal. Uh, they've even though they've disagreed, they've been very deferential to each other. I wonder why now, three days perhaps before a decision's made on a second impeachment, it has everything to do with running for president. And I'm not saying that she's, what she says is unfounded. I've said flat out the way the president acted really from November 10th on, I thought was the worst of his presidency. And though as of January 6th was a huge mistake, even having it. Forget about what happened. Still don't think he should have been impeached. But if I was running for president, I might handle it differently because if I'm going to break and alienate every Trump supporter who might not look, feel the same way, way, uh, the way I did, especially he spent two years pushing forward on his very effective foreign policy, I might have waited to talk to him. We'll see. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Busy day, busy Monday. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think we can never forget that this was an attack on a country that is changing. It was an attack on an America that is not the America that the insurrectionists believe in. And the message of the Republican Party and of Donald Trump's Republican Party, which it remains Donald Trump's Republican Party, is that if we if we don't win, there is no power sharing. If we don't win, there is no democracy. If our voters aren't the most important voters, no other voters matter. I mean, that is the essential message, which is that the expansion of democracy to include non-white Americans is unacceptable. And that's why the Capitol was attacked, because these were people who felt that they had no longer, uh, they no longer had an option uh, to pursue democratic means. They were going to take the Capitol by force. So that was Mara Gay. She's on the New York Times editorial board. It was from earlier in the week, but we just never got to play it. But did you hear that the essential message which um, people were protesting was the expansion of democracy to include non-white Americans? That's why people were protesting. That's absolutely out of – she's out of her mind. Yeah, that is absolutely nuts. The thing is it would be crazy if she was on uh, a little-known publication 
But that's a very widespread, maybe the number one in the world, the people are reading that. How unbelievable is it that France is alarmed by the wokeness of our culture and our cancel culture, and they don't want it spreading to them? Do you believe this? You would think it's a headline in The Onion. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, there was a column about that in the New York Post today. It is nuts. Uh, let's find out. Let's see what Dr. Kaufman has to say. Listen on WVMT. Hey, Dr. Kaufman. Hi, Brian. Uh, when, when I heard that Governor Cuomo had given an executive order mandating that nursing homes had to accept COVID patients, uh, I, I was shocked. I was astounded. Even it, at the it, time? At the time, because the typical behavior, the typical standard for nursing homes is to evaluate a patient, decide if they have the capacity for that patient, and if that patient is too sick to come to the nursing home and should stay in the hospital. It's up to the nursing home, not the governor. He's practicing medicine without a license for political purposes. And he says the CDC told him to do that. He was following CDC guidelines. That is just not true. I heard that also, and I, I knew, of course, it was not true. So what about the fact is he said that uh, he was afraid the Department of Justice was going to investigate him. That's why, according to his assistant, they didn't go go forward with it. They were afraid of Trump's tweets. Is that a good defense? It's it's apparently his defense, but it's not uh, an appropriate medical defense, and it's not appropriate for the patient he moves or for the non-COVID patients who became infected because these people were rushed into nursing homes that weren't prepared to take them. Plus, the staff was exposed. He had a ship. He had the Javits Center. There are many other alternatives instead of making this decision. Right. Uh, Listen, everything was you make decisions. You want them back. Instead, he denied it and they lied about the numbers and he ignored Freedom of Information Act uh, requests. And then when the attorney general did an investigation, she couldn't help but find that they lied about the numbers. But she never held a press conference to get attention like she would have done had a Republican been in trouble. The NRA been in trouble like she did. Donald Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, uh, being uh, nailed like he did. Thanks so much for the call. Congressman Steve Scalise was asked about this as it broke last night. Cut 26. I've been calling on them to do that for a long time, for months. We've been calling on Governor Cuomo. Just show the data. You don't don't need an act of Congress, but he won't do it. But now it's even been shown his own top aide admitted that they were hiding the data because they didn't want the public to know what happened. Thousands of people in New York are demanding answers. And they are. Democrats are getting pushback in a very very Democratic state. That says a lot. And I think we're going to have uh, we're going to have at some point today, Janice Dean, who lost both her in-laws, so you know her from Fox, uh, coming forward. So we'll see where that goes. But so many people are coming forward with this nursing home story. This is Melissa DeRosa, what she said. I wish we could get the audio on this. Um, well, here's her fear. He starts winning me to the president, and we killed everyone in nursing homes. And basically, we froze because we were in a position where we weren't sure if we were going to give to the Department of Justice if, the, if we gave that uh, if we gave the stats over, we give it to the Department of Justice, or what we give to you guys, meaning Democrats, and what we start saying, we're going to be used against us while we weren't sure if there was going to be an investigation. That's Melissa DeRosa talking honestly, she thought, and confidentially to Democrats. It got out. So we do apologize, she goes on. I do understand the position that you were all in. I know that it is not fair, and it was not our intention to put you in that political position with the Republicans. Not expressing regret that everybody's dead, 
but I put you in a bad position. And now 15,000 people are dead and I put you in a bad position. Do you believe this? Rachel May is a Democrat state, uh, state senator on the aging committee, Syracuse. She was battered for a re-election because of this issue. She ripped into DeRosa saying her former opponent had launched another broadside earlier in the day. Quote, and this issue for me, the biggest issue of all was feeling like I needed to defend or at least not attack an administration that was appearing to be covering something up in a pandemic. So she was saying how bad shape she was in because the numbers were so bad. So the initial report were 8,952 people died in nursing homes. You know what the updated number is? Approximately, which I don't understand how you round off human beings, 15,000. And you have a governor saying, who cares where you died? Why did God do this? I don't know. We weren't expecting you to tell us why God did this, because everyone knows you think you're God. Thanks so much for listening. Go to BrianKilmeadShow.com. Get the podcast anywhere, anytime. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks to all our affiliates for joining into the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, we have a big hour. Trey Gowdy is uh, just about ready to join us. Janice Dean at the bottom of the hour. New revelations about what Governor Cuomo knew about these nursing home deaths and how much he uh, refused to answer and, dare I say, lied about it. So he's going to be with us shortly. Uh, And I want to get to this impeachment case as the offense for the president's defense begins today. And we watched three straight days uh, of video uh, and audio and uh, video without audio, all talking about the horror, which is January 6th. But how much does that relate to whether the president should get impeached or not? That's one of the many reasons why Trey Gowdy is with us. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Over 9,000 recovering COVID-19 patients were sent to nursing homes in New York and that 15,000 facility residents died from the virus in the state. That is up 40% from the 8,900 initially reported. Big difference, right? Cuomo's cowardly cover-up, New York Governor's top aide admits in a call they never wanted out that they covered up nursing home deaths because they froze in fear of what Trump's Justice Department would do to them. Do you think that'll come up when Governor Cuomo meets with Joe Biden? Don't think so. He found out yesterday from the speaker, New York is getting $50 billion to keep the state shut down. A joke. Number two. Restricting the right of Americans to travel freely throughout our country while allowing illegal aliens to pour across the southern border unmolested would be a ridiculous but very damaging farce and done that, purely for political purposes. And I have to say, uh, Governor DeSantis's uh, hypothesis has got to be correct. Why else would you consider restricting travel in and out of Florida because of a strain from the U.K., which first appeared in New York? At the same time, you have a wide open southern border that is blowing up to remain in Mexico for refugees and about to welcome all of them back. Will we setting new records for illegals allowed to stay? At the same time, you're worried and concerned about 
Republican-dominated Florida. Number one. You know, I'm not afraid of Donald Trump running again in four years. I'm afraid he's going to run again and lose because he can do this again. Well, Congressman Ted Lieu of California, impeachment overreach. What happened on January 6th? Terrible. What did Donald Trump do to cause January 6th? Nothing to that comes up in 2015. That's what they went back and did. They're pulling up stuff from Charlottesville and things he said as a candidate. Is that the best way to make a case? Guy would know is Trey Gowdy. He's tasked with many cases, mostly as a, I believe, as a prosecutor and has been uh, been pretty. Uh, Trey, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you said they they chose the wrong impeachment article if they wanted to get if they wanted to impeach the former president. Right. Yeah. I mean, Brian, first of all, I mean, let's all keep in mind uh, there's a difference between proving someone should never be elected again and proving someone should be barred from running again. So if their goal is to prove that he is unfit to even be a candidate in the future, then uh, the article of impeachment, uh, which they've touched upon but never never did the hard work of proving, is, okay, you're shocked that your speech incited people. You were stunned that people stormed the Capitol. Once you found out that it was happening, what did you do? And, Brian, that requires witnesses. You know, they touched on it. So there's a phone call between Giuliani and Tuberville or Mike Lee. Someone's going to need to come testify. The president knew this with particularity at this time. Or I went to the president and said, Mr. President, we are under attack. There are lives at risk. And the president's response was X. That requires calling witnesses. I mean, that's not a video. The video is going to make you not want to vote Republican in the future. So that's why you're seeing all the video footage. If you're serious about investigating what happened on that date, you have to include what did the president know, when did he know it, and what was his reaction to it. So interesting because – that would uh, the only thing we know is reports inside the White House that said the president did X, Y, and Z, and this would lead to the video that was released. We've seen all the video. We know how horrific it was. What about the decision to go back in time and talk about Donald Trump before he was president? Listen to what Jamie Raskin uh, chose to do. Cut to the president praised a Republican candidate who assaulted a journalist as my kind of guy. He said there were quote. Very fine people on both sides when the neo-Nazis, the Klansmen, and Proud Boys um, invaded the city, the great city of Charlottesville, and killed Heather Heyer. And he said that an attack on a black protester at one of his rallies was very, very appropriate. The siege of the Michigan State House was effectively a state-level dress rehearsal for the siege of the U.S. Capitol that Trump incited on January 6th. It was a preview of the coming insurrection. I don't have that legal background you have. Okay, I have none. But that's where you lost me. (laughs) It it sounded like now I felt like I was on with Rachel Maddow. Yeah, it was a huge tactical mistake by an otherwise uh, smart guy in Jamie Raskin because, I mean, let's think about it for a second, Brian. I mean, I listened to Kamala Harris and Maisie Hirono and others say the most awful things to Amy Coney Barrett. I heard Kamala Harris tell the nation that this mother of seven 
is coming after every right you have. Now, what if I were dumb enough to yep. believe that mm-hmm. and go do something? What if I were dumb enough to believe that Amy Coney Barrett was really coming after every right I had, and I went and burned something down, or I went to her house? Is that Kamala Harris's fault, or is that my fault for being stupid enough to believe it? So if they want to put political speech on trial, there's plenty of evidence on both sides of people saying ridiculous, inflammatory, insightful things. Good point. Uh, So tonight, if I gave you the clipboard, and of course everybody knows lawyers use clipboards. Okay, that was a bad phrase. Uh, If I told you you have the ball, uh, be the president's defense. Evidently, it's not going to go more than four hours. It's going to go less. And they're just going to wrap it up today. What do you make sure you hit, and what does your video montage include? Well, it's two things. Number one, it can't be the speech, because let me play similar language that even some of you have engaged in in the past. And I would make it painful. This notion that you've proven the point, therefore you need to move on, uh uh-uh. When it's uncomfortable for the other side, that's when you press the accelerator. That ain't when you start tapping the brakes. I would make it painful for the Democrats. I'd pick every one of the impeachment managers. I mean, you got Eric Swalwell. That's a mini-series. That's not an afternoon. That's a mini-series of saying stupid, insightful things. So you want to talk about political speech? Let's do it. And then what would I do? I would say, look, if you were serious about proving this case, you could have and should have interviewed the following witnesses. And of those witnesses, you interviewed exactly none of them. You want to know what the president was thinking? You want to know who told him what? You want to know what his state of mind was? Here are the witnesses you could have talked to. But in your rush to get this thing done, you didn't even stop long enough to interview the following 25 people. So you would not be in a rush to get this done today? Uh, There's not a chance in the world he's going to be convicted. But there's a really good chance that there's going to be a residual negative effect on other Republicans if they do not fight back. So look, Brian, you and me and a high school mock trial team could, quote, win this trial. It's hard to lose a trial that you cannot lose. So so don't give me some short-circuited presentation and then say, look at what a great job I did. I made sure the president was acquitted. It, the guy from my cousin Vinny could acquit the president. I want to know, are you going to put the prosecutors on trial? This is a political trial. Let's make it a political trial. You want to talk about political speech? Let's talk about what you've said. You want to talk about this being a constitutional crisis? Let's talk about how few witnesses you bothered to interview. Good point. Uh, By the way, in terms of that opening presentation that we saw from Donald Trump, it was so terrible. It was one of the worst things I've seen. And to knock it down to just one sound or or heard to knock it down to just one soundbite. I've chosen this. I know this is a lot to listen to at once. A lot of words, but words are what make our Constitution, frankly, and the interpretation of that Constitution is, as you well know, a product of words. So I never in my life heard somebody you, talk for so long and said so little. You, you think that was worse than him <laughs> explaining to us why he picked the phrase whirlwind instead of floodgates? Ah. 
You're right. I mean, the the fact that you and I are arguing about what the worst part of the presentation was is not a good sign. Absolutely. Uh, And before I turn the page on this, I just want you, I want to know what you think Chuck Schumer's options are. Cut five. Is there support for bringing forward a 14th Amendment measure? We're first going to finish the impeachment trial and then Democrats will get together and discuss where we go next. 14th Amendment, can you give me an idea of what his options are that they might be discussing? Um, I don't think it's ever been done before. Um, I I don't uh, think it is uh, applicable. Uh, There are some law school professors, which is another way of saying could not make a living practicing law, that think it's an option. Uh, The reality is um, the votes do not exist. It's the same thing we started off talking about about, Brian. There's a difference between saying, I'll never vote for you again, and saying you can never run again. And I think we're we're maybe slightly half, but but half the American people are, is, you know what, we have higher expectations for a president than that, uh, but that's on us. I mean, we're the ultimate jury. They're not going to win. So, So when you know you're not going to win, and you've made your case, um, then you need to move on. To, I mean, I don't think anybody voted for Joe Biden because they wanted the 14th Amendment invoked or they wanted uh, an impeachment trial. They want COVID relief. They want job. I mean, they want lots of things, but I don't think anybody voted for this. So I, I think a lot of this, Brian, is 2022 and trying to you right. know break the 50-50 tie in the Senate, and they want to put Republican senators in a really tough spot. And I was going to play Carl Rove, but you basically just said it. He said yesterday that this is putting Republicans in tough in 2022. They're trying to divide Republicans and have that video, something they could run in the smallest and biggest uh, state in the country, right? So— so if you're if you're the president's lawyer, why would you not say, okay, you want to put political speech on trial? Cue up Maxine Waters. Cue up Cory Booker. Because I'll tell you what Americans really don't like, and that's duplicity. They don't like hypocrisy. They don't like duplicity. I don't think they like the kind of speech President Trump gave. I know I hated it because I think it was so unfair, number one, to the truth, also unfair to Mike Pence and Tom Cotton and a lot of others. But if we're going to start criminalizing yeah. ridiculous political speech. Let's do it on both sides. Exactly. Uh, so Nikki Haley, a governor you know quite well from South Carolina, who's got the international experience as a stellar UN ambassador who made, I thought she was just phenomenal. The strength she showed in reading her book, she actually got some pushback from General Kelly and others who did not want to give her the respect, but President Trump showed it. And I thought there was a, a deep reservoir of loyalty there. And clearly she's in the presidential candidate picture. But today uh, it comes out for our interview in Political Magazine among her quotes that are devastating to the president. Quote, we need to acknowledge that he let us down. He went down a path he should not have. We shouldn't have followed him and we shouldn't have listened to him. And we can't let that ever happen again. He goes on to say, I don't think he's going to be in the picture in the future. I don't think he can. He has fallen too far. So. She is breaking from the president over his actions after the election. Your reaction? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, Nikki Haley's not afraid of anything. I mean, I, I watched her beat a field, an all-male field, when they said she had no chance to be the Republican nominee and governor. So that woman ain't afraid of anything. And uh, I think her point is, you know, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, others – who kind of led people to believe that Mike Pence had the power to overturn an election? I'm not on your side. Is it 2024, you know, politics? 
Uh, maybe, but there can only be one Republican nominee. There are going to be a ton of Republican candidates, but only one nominee for president. And, and, and my sense is she wants to be in that wing of the party where there are others that say, you know what? Um, I hate that we lost, but we did lose. And one of the conservative tenets is that we value the truth and that we speak the truth. And when your legal team is Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and Lynn Wood, um, I don't want any part of that. You feel the same way? The president let you down? 100%. I, look, my hero lost a race to a guy named Barabbas. So we can all lose. The notion that I can't lose, uh, Brady's lost, Tiger Woods has lost, Roger Federer's lost, Michael Jordan's lost. The notion that I can't lose, um, look, I, I'm a, a president's day, I think Brian's Monday, you know, I, I guess I had two favorite presidents, Lincoln and Reagan, both of whom lost. Lincoln lost a lot. He lost a lot in yep. life. So it's not simply uh, about whether or not you can win. It's also the grace and the honesty and the truth that you show when you're disappointed. So, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you look, you know my best friend in politics is Tim Scott. He didn't join Josh Hawley. He didn't join yep. Ted Cruz. He said, I want honest, fair elections. Uh, but no one has proven to me uh, that the errors were dispositive, and that's where I am. I hear you. Uh, Trey, it's, a, it's big time. We have to get your political background as well as your legal background. I, I'm not looking forward to getting your bill. Uh, it is going to be quite pricey. <laughs> yeah, I'm worth what I am. <laughs> you owe me exactly what I'm worth, which is nothing. <laughs> Trey Gotti, thanks so much. All right, man. Take care. You got it. one 408 Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, last night I was uh, I was on the phone for two straight hours with Xi Jinping, and uh, you all know as well as I do. These folks, uh, you know, it was a good conversation. I know him well. We spent a lot of time together over the when, uh, over the years I was vice president. And uh, but uh, you know they're gonna we don't get moving. They're gonna eat our lunch. China is going to eat our lunch. Come on, man. I mean, I, you know, they're not bad folks, folks. Such a joke. He uses the same line, too. And by the way, don't get on Trump for saying everyone. They were on Trump for saying everyone's my friend. I'm a good friend with them. He's saying the same thing. Oh, we spent two hours on the phone. Totally different readout, too, on how that conversation went. One, when he brought up what's going on with the Uyghurs, when he brought up what's going on with Hong Kong, when he brought up what about Taiwan, evidently President Xi, from the Chinese perspective, their readout said, China's internal affairs and concerned China's sovereignty and territorial integrity ends there. So I'm not, I don't think we got through. Ben, listen on WOKV in Jacksonville. Ben. Good morning, Patriot. What's on your Trey mind? Gowdy is, Trey Gowdy is an absolute genius. Anyway, I'm going to switch gears a little bit since you allegedly have property here in, in Jacksonville area. What do you think of the rather loud rumor that the Biden administration is considering restricting your ability to travel. I think they got to queue up their attorney general. 
I think they got to file a counter lawsuit, be ready to go immediately, because this is pure politics. You guys aren't the best, but you're right in the middle of the country while still living your lives, going to school and going to work. That is impressive, and it gets Washington jealous and angry. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The president's belief is that uh, trans rights are human rights, and that's why he signed that executive order. Uh, And in terms of the determinations by universities and colleges, I would certainly defer to them. So with that, uh, women's sports went into uh, a tailspin. I mean, why is that fair for female athletes to compete against males that are transitioning in some way, shape, or form to being females. It just it's not the same. We've seen it over and over again. It's not it's not certainly something that is to the behest of any women. It's not going to work out for them. You're an Olympian, you're training hard, and all of a sudden a trans athlete comes in and you lose. Is that fair? Lauren Adams says no. She's legal counsel for the Women's Liberation Front. Uh, and she just filed a petition for rulemaking with the Department of Education requesting the Title IX be enforced to protect women's sports and single-sex spaces. Lauren, I'm glad you're doing this. What prompted it? Hi. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, so I guess what prompted it is we were expecting action uh, similar to this from the Biden administration pretty quickly. Um, but then he started the day one with his executive order on gender identity, and we knew this. And then last week in the... Uh, confirmation hearings of the education secretary, he did confirm that uh, they're not planning on enforcing Title IX to protect women and girls. And so um, we just knew that we had to step up and and do something. What are you going to cite as evidence that it's not fair? Oh, um, well, we've we've done a lot of stuff in the petition, and there's really good things. Um, One of the interesting, I mean, there's no evidence that there's any kind of, um, you know, that, that sort of transitioning you mentioned, that it does anything to mitigate male puberty, the athletic advantage. And in fact, it's worth noting that there is no transition required. Um, one of the cases that is currently at issue is Connecticut, and there were male athletes who were allowed to uh, run on the girls' team and they had not transitioned in any way. They weren't taking hormones. So they're not even requiring anything like that. So, uh, Lauren, by filing this, a lot of people are going to say uh, that's not fair to the transgender people. Uh, I'm a male, and I feel like if you're a male and you feel like you want to be a female, uh, why are you standing in their way? Well, we, <laughs> um, you know, we fight for women's rights, and we don't think that women should have to uh, put their needs aside to um, to accommodate the the emotional needs of men, basically. Um, and we don't think that sports are meant to be a, 
a mental health treatment of any kind. And it's, these things exist for a reason. We, you know, Congress and the Department of Education have decided that single-sex spaces and services, including sports, are appropriate. The vast majority of Americans agree. We have polling, national and state level, which shows that cross-partisan agreement um, that they support protecting women's sports and single-sex spaces. And we just need the Biden administration to listen to the American people and stand up for women and girls. Martina Navratilova got huge blowback when she said it's almost like cheating. And then in 2019, she tried to correct the situation, but she knows she's right. And I know you're right, too. Uh, While she said she was sorry for suggesting that transgender athletes in general are cheats, she also said there is no perfect solution, that if everyone were included, women's sports as we know it would cease to exist. I know I don't have all the answers, she said. That is why I want to debate it, have a conversation about it. But needless to say, I've always and will always be a champion of democracy and equal rights. Right. She comes out and she said she was it was big news at the time when she said she's the best tennis player in the world. And she came out as a lesbian. And for her to come out now, she knows what intolerance is like firsthand for her to come out now and say it. She's just looking for a chance for women to have an equal chance to compete against women. There's a reason why the NBA and WNBA don't play in the same league. Right. So do you, do you look for us now the Biden team's got to respond? What do you what yeah. do, are you anticipating a response? Well, they're legally required to respond within 60 days. They're supposed to answer us and give us, you know, if they were to reject us, they're supposed to give a, a reason why, um, specifically, you know, addressing our reasoning that we give, which we feel is they're legally sound and sense. Um, and if they do that, we will explore additional options. Yeah, Lauren, we're kind of losing you. But good luck with your case. Uh, At Women's Lib Front is a way to support it, and we look forward to the Biden team trying to make sense of it. Their issue to be politically correct has been uh, realistically deaf. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. But that's an issue that's a big deal, especially if you have a female athlete competing at an elite or any level. Um, Nothing against transgender uh, people. Best of luck in everything you do. But I don't see why women's sports should pay the price for that. I just don't think it's an issue that if I'm in a Biden administration, I would bring up to start off. It's not a priority. You could easily say to people, not right now. We're in a pandemic. We have a situation where we got to get kids back to school. Why am I going to welcome in this type of controversy? To me, it's pretty, uh, pretty apparent. When we come back, Janice Dean's going to talk about uh, a little about what's going on with these hospitals and the nursing homes that caused the death of both of her uh, in-laws and the revelations that came out last night. But I also think that there's a, a lot. Uh, there's a lot of other things going on. We're waiting for the impeachment trial to start in about an hour and fifteen minutes. At which time we're going to hear about four hours of testimony from and what so far has been an inept defense team of Donald Trump. At which time the biggest news to emerge is Nikki Haley. One of the president's most respected backers jumping off and saying he let us all down. I understand the sentiment. I get it. But I just don't understand making that statement and doing that interview even before Republicans and Democrats had a chance to vote on the impeachment, the second impeachment. That's what I find. I find the timing mysterious. Adam Kinzinger formed his own PAC, the Lincoln Project, 
uh, as Karl Rove described them, a bunch of losers and grifters buried in debt are blowing up and they only exist to fight against Donald Trump and a breakaway sect of the Republican Party have trouble keeping together just as they're imploding. Adam Kinzinger starting his uh, super PAC. I'm not sure how much momentum that'll get. And then you have Nikki Haley essentially breaking from the, the Trump universe. So that's something that's going to be looked at in the next few days. One thing is pretty clear. Mike Pompeo is basically starting his run. He uh, will probably be somewhere in a high-profile network shortly, and that'll be interesting. But I also think it's interesting to see Nikki Haley thinking that's our best way to run for president, to say, I liked him, but I don't anymore. When we come back, we'll have an interview with Janice Dean, the latest on this nursing home situation. I put it. I put the story on Twitter. It's now picked up by uh, the AP, and it's from the New York Post. Very curious to see if that'll be shelved or frozen like they did with the other big breaking story the New York Post broke. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to to your your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you think there was a mistake, then go talk to the federal government. It's not about pointing fingers or blame. It's that this became a political football. The report also says the information from nursing homes is often uh, incorrect. It doesn't mean people didn't die, and it doesn't mean people won't die today. That is the curse of COVID. Why COVID? Why did God do this? Uh, I don't know. But who cares? 33, 28 died in a hospital, died in a nursing home. They died. Unbelievable. I, I guess I'm amazed that people like this guy. I'm amazed. But that is Governor Cuomo when asked by somebody about what some of these revelations, but the, the, a, uh, the AG came out and found out that they lied about how many people lost their lives in nursing homes, how many people were put back in to nursing homes even though they had the coronavirus and it spread like wildfire, his own words. What's the difference, he said, whether they died in the hospital or nursing home? Well, the difference is they might not have died. Janice Dean joins us now, Fox News senior meteorologist, uh, best-selling author. But she's also somebody who has taken on this cause and taken on the governor because nobody else would uh, when she lost both her in-laws within a matter of days due to the coronavirus and realized quickly that this was preventable. Who's making these decisions? And no one asked. And now everyone's asking. And it came out on a conference call yesterday that lasted two hours with his key aide, at which time that call was leaked, where you heard the aide apologize to politicians for the political turmoil they caused, not to the families for the angst and anguish they've caused with the death of their loved one. Janice Dean, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. I mean, it's unbelievable, right, that this leaked out. What were you thinking when you find out uh, that this is a statement from his key aide about what was going on. They said that they, when they saw the numbers, they froze. They feared, uh, they feared Donald Trump's tweets and his Justice Department. That's why they didn't tell anyone and answer the Freedom of Information Act requests. I got a call yesterday from Assemblyman Ron Kim, who was in that meeting. He's a Democrat. He's been uh, very close 
to our family because he lost an uncle to coronavirus in a nursing home. And it hasn't been, you know, politics in our little group. It's all about accountability for our family members. And so he called me and kind of gave me a little tidbit of what went on in that meeting. And the one thing he did say was that they were really scared when the Justice Department said that they were going to investigate this governor and those numbers. So I knew that piece of information, but I didn't know the whole scope of it where she apologized to the lawmakers and basically admitted that they had been covering up these numbers for the whole time. So here's an excerpt from her apology. Uh, Melissa DeRose is her name, secretary to the governor. He starts tweeting that we killed everyone in nursing home and basically we froze because then we were in a position where we weren't sure if that we were going to give it to the Department of Justice or not. Or what if we give it to uh, guys, you guys, what we, were, what, we were, what would we start saying was going to be used against us while we weren't sure if there was going to be an investigation. So I apologize you had a tough election season because of the nursing homes and the questions that still remain. That was not enough, and that, re- that prompted uh, a guy that's worked with you, Assemblyman Ron Kim, uh, whose uncle is presumed to have been killed in COVID-19 in a nursing home back in April. Uh, he said he wasn't satisfied with the apology. Quote, it's not enough how contrite they are with us, meaning lawmakers. They need to show that to the public and to families. They have not done that. Now, where does this go from here? I want an independent, bipartisan investigation, something we have wanted from the very beginning, Brian, when we started to see, you know, the nursing home order in effect uh, for 46 days, where he put now over 9,000 infected patients into nursing homes. We just got that piece of information yesterday. And we've been saying all along that there needs to be a proper investigation where there's subpoenas, where we get the governor, his health commissioner, who has dodged and avoided all questions about the nursing homes, and also people in the nursing homes to be sort of a give us a view of what was going on at the time. They didn't have enough PPE. Why didn't they use the Comfort Ship and the Javits Center and the other makeshift hospitals that the federal government gave to them? We still haven't gotten those responses and why the cover-up. I know they say that the cover-up is sometimes worse than the crime. In this case, of course it isn't. We can't bring back over 15,000 people. But man, this cover-up could certainly uh, be jeopardy in terms of legal terms. Did other governors do the same thing? Yes. um, There are four other Democratic governors who had almost exactly the same order to put COVID patients into nursing homes, executive orders. They are Governor Whitmer, Governor Murphy, Governor Wolf, and Governor Newsom. So Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and California. And it was almost exactly the same wording as Governor Cuomo. So they have since made a change. Now there's going to be nurse, there's going to be coronavirus nursing home patients all in one area. So that's the new policy. I read that. Yeah, too late. Yeah, too late uh, to put in one place. Now, in the in the panic, and we never got the true story from uh, from China. We never knew there was going to be asymptomatic spread because they didn't tell us how this thing started. They still haven't. We didn't tell us to be human to human spread when it first came here because we had the wrong test ready. So everyone's getting blanketed. Nobody got hit. No argument. Nobody got hit worse in New York. So you're going to make big mistakes, and this was clearly one of them. What bothered me most is the arrogance. The guy writes a book about how he handled it. He gets an Emmy for his leadership. He, when asked about this obvious mistake, he blamed the federal government. 
Does he have a leg to stand on with that? He's blamed everyone else. Uh, He's blamed not only the federal government. He blamed, of course, Trump, the CDC, the nursing home workers, God, Mother Nature. The list goes on and on. But he never has taken any accountability or responsibility. As you mentioned, I think in the very beginning, had he done that and said, listen, I made a tremendous mistake. I was getting bad advice from my hospital lobbyist buddies to put COVID positive patients into nursing homes. I, I, I don't know why I did this. I apologize and I, I won't ever do it again. Had he just done that, I don't think we would ever be here. But the arrogance, the sheer arrogance and the fact that he has blamed everyone else and never taken responsibility, that is the greatest crime. So here's a quote from New York Assemblyman William Barkley. He says, it seems that every decision coming out of the governor's office is about Team Cuomo protecting his image. Barkley went on to say more than 15,000 seniors died in adult care facilities, but the governor was clearly more worried about a DOJ investigation and political finger pointing. Do you think this is going to come up when he meets with President Biden today? Well, what I did find out is that President Biden actually closed the DOJ investigation very recently. So I believe that should be reopened. And by the way, during the Christmas holidays, I talked to a DOJ spokesperson, a senior DOJ spokesperson, who said, Governor Cuomo gave them nothing. They they requested all sorts of information, and they didn't get one piece of paper. That's incredible. So the networks didn't cover anything last night. The AP has this story. The New York Post is running this story. What has happened since, Janice? Have you gotten calls from other outlets, blogs, anybody? I just saw the New York Times posted, quote, breaking news, top aide in Cuomo government uh, admits to cover up in a closed door meeting. So that broke about 35 minutes ago. And that story was actually uh, a headline last night at 7 p.m. CBS uh, covered the story this morning. We understand for about two minutes, ABC, NBC and MSNBC did not uh, reveal any coverage. Uh, I guess CNN, a minute 52 um, and that's about it. I think the local outlets, I was told, were picking it up. I have not seen that. There have been some very good reporters on the local level that have followed this story. But, Brian, I mean, let's not <laughs> let's not mince words. If this is a Republican governor, say this is Ron DeSantis in Florida. Oh, my gosh, that would be a lead story on every single news channel, including the local and the national networks and every headline of every newspaper. And they'd have every family that lost a loved one on television talking about their story, including childhood photos. But it's not the case. Maybe uh, maybe things will start reversing and maybe there's somebody out there that's going to run for governor and change things. Uh, The next uh, Pataki or Rudy Giuliani in his prime. I'm not sure. So, Janice, keep it up. Let us know what's going on. I look forward to your new book, Make Your Own Sunshine, Inspiring Stories of People Who Find Light in Dark Times. That's coming out soon, right? Yes. I hope to come on your program next month, my friend. March 2nd, you're in. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Shannon Bream with us in a matter of moments. And we're going to take a sidestep from uh, impeachment and everything else and go over with uh, a great documentary I just saw, Frank Stallone, brother of Sylvester Stallone, his unique life and quest uh, in the limelight. And his ups and downs are fascinating. And I think you'll love it. Frank Stallone's going to be with us, too. And we'll take your calls, one 408 7669. Yes, impeachment uh, day four is about to take place on Friday, and then Saturday it's going to be off. Uh, we're going to be uh, off there. There's a Jewish, I think one of the lawyers is Jewish, and they have a, they take that day as Sabbath, and then Sunday they could go back to work. And as uh, I don't think any later than Tuesday, the Senate will have a chance to vote if the president, now who's golfing in Mar a Lago, should be removed from office, which I think is a done deal. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Over 9,000 recovering COVID-19 patients were sent to nursing homes in New York and that 15,000 facility residents died from the virus in the state. That is up 40% from the 8,900 initially reported. Uh, That is uh, Ainsley talking this morning about this stunning news. Uh, Governor Cuomo's cowardly cover-up. New York governor's top aide admits they covered up nursing home data, but instead of apologizing on a conference call that we were never supposed to hear, she apologized to Democrats for putting them through some political turbulence because they couldn't be candid about the exact numbers, which are not 9,000 who lost their lives, over 15,000 over a policy of putting sick patients back into nursing homes instead of the hospital. Number two, restricting the right of Americans to travel freely throughout our country while allowing illegal aliens to pour across the southern border unmolested would be a ridiculous but very damaging farce done purely for political purposes. Little doubt. Are you for real? The administration that's loosening up our southern border eligibility rules for aliens to stay here, concentrating now on restricting travel to and from Florida. If this is true, it cannot stand. Number one. You know, I'm not afraid of Donald Trump running again in four years. I'm afraid he's going to run again and lose. Right. Because uh, he can do this again. Ted Lieu sounds so concerned. Impeachment overreach. For what happened on January 6th to what did Donald Trump do since birth or since 2015? Staring at another acquittal, it seems the Dems have a plan B. And it might be some type of uh, uh, 14th Amendment call. Shannon Bream went to law school. She's always called on in complicated situations like this, and we call on her again. Shannon Bream, welcome back. I'm not sure you can afford my hourly rates, though. Right. So just um, keep that in mind. But what I did is uh, I offered your people a retainer. So whether I use you or not, <laughs> I'm paying the same rate every month. Yeah, and I think for you, given the way that you live your life, a monthly retainer is probably your best option, most economical. Right, but it doesn't work good for you guys. I have you busy 24 hours. Uh, although, <laughs> thankfully, no one's suing me right now. So Currently. this is what Trey Gowdy and others have said was a big mistake. Jamie Raskin broadening out the argument. Cut to. The president praised a Republican candidate who assaulted a journalist as my kind of guy. He said there were, quote, very fine people on both sides when the neo-Nazis, the Klansmen and Proud Boys um, invaded the city, the great city of Charlottesville, and killed Heather Heyer. And he said that an attack on a black protester at one of his rallies was very, very appropriate. The... I feel like I'm watching an episode with uh, Rachel Maddow or Anderson Cooper. That's the things they debate every night. Why do you think they would open it up like this, knowing that Republicans 
now have a million examples of inflammatory language from Democrats that's been chronicled all through the summer as the riots took root in, uh, took root in Kenosha, Minneapolis, Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, Portland, and Seattle. Mm-hmm. First of all, a lot of what he said there is inaccurate, and we could spend some time breaking that down. And the thing is, they have to know that, because a lot of that stuff has been clarified or debunked, but they keep using it anyway. And I think at this stage, they're getting so much praise for their arguments that are emotional and uh, powerful. And they are. These people live through a horrific situation at the Capitol that anyone of any good common sense or good person is denouncing and saying it was horrible, prosecute these people, over 200 people have been charged and are facing, like everybody agrees on that. But they're saying things they know aren't true because it's scoring them a lot of points and it is stirring up people's emotions. And that's for people who don't know the rest of the story or the accurate versions of those stories. But yeah, they have opened themselves up to the fact that you're going to start talking about that. Then great. The president's legal team I don't know if this is going to be their methodology because I think they know that they're going to win anyway and they don't want to waste a lot of time muddying the water. But it would be so easy for them to play video after video. Josh Hawley's wife, for example, Senator Hawley's wife, was on, uh, I think it was with Sean last night. And she is one of many, many, many examples of people showing up at the house. She's got a newborn baby in her arms. They're demanding and screaming. They're on her patio. They're on her you know, lawn. Um, they've shown up at Senator Collins' house, Senator Graham's house. And you have Congresswoman Maxine Waters out there who is telling and constantly agitating about, I'm going to go take Trump out tonight, and you got to run these people out of you know polite society. So, listen, I, I would be surprised if the president's legal team doesn't show some of those videos today. They better. And, in fact, Karl Rove said yesterday that Republicans are losing on this, whether Trump beats it or not, and he's expected to beat it. This is about Democrats having tape to try to keep the majority in the House and Senate. This is about Democrats trying to make that surveillance video and their vote match and let people think that if you vote for a Republican, it's going to mean insurrection. Yeah, and, and, you know, we've heard this discussion the whole time about how millions of people who voted for the president feel like they're being lumped in with this whole thing where they clearly want no part of it. Um, but Democrats have to do that at their own risk, at their own peril, because the more that you offend people and make it seem like they're all being lumped in together with the bad actors, I think the more you potentially make former President Trump very empathetic character and people who may not have wanted to defend him and right. certainly won't defend what happened at the Capitol, they're feeling the personally attacked and lumped in with that. And I think it only further divides and makes people more um, feel more defensive. I want you to hear Ted Cruz you had on last night. Great interview. Here's an excerpt on what the defense strategy should be starting today. Cut 14. And a point that I hope that, that President Trump's lawyers make tomorrow is if you look at the comments of Bernie Sanders, of Nancy Pelosi, of Chuck Schumer, of Maxine Waters, if you look at Kamala Harris, there is no coherent basis under the standard they put forward for concluding President Trump's comments were incitement and Kamala Harris's wasn't. Because they have it. And, and we know that, you know, this is the first time I heard them, Democrats support law enforcement, was talking about this, this invasion on January 6th when they talked about the great job of the law enforcement. We haven't heard that in a year. Mm-hmm. So I think those, I are the, those are the two things. I think you could build up. There's no way Donald Trump has a track record of saying, go take on law enforcement, that he didn't say breach the perimeter. He wanted to have their voices heard. But when you start bringing up Charlottesville, when you start bringing up 
Congressman Gia Fortune. You, my goodness, I said, do they really want this mess? Do they really, do they really want this fight when they've let, dropped their hands after they threw the punch? And that punch has to come today. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, I think Steve Scalise is one of the best, best examples that they can talk about. There was a supporter of someone on the left who apparently was very ginned up by what he read or thought or heard, and his intent was to go there and, and apparently kill many members as possible of this GOP uh, members of Congress who were practicing for the congressional softball game. It is, in some ways, a, a huge miracle that Steve Scalise survived that thing. Many more people would have been shot and potentially killed had Steve Scalise's security detail not been there with them that day. And we, I think that, you know, you look at that, and I don't think Republicans would go out there and say, yeah, everybody who supports, I believe he was a Bernie Sanders guy, everyone who supports him is bad and they all need to go to jail and they're all domestic terrorists. I mean, that's, that's the distinction. And I, right. and I will be interested to see what uh, the Trump legal team does today with so that. So as much as I played your clip and as a salute to you, I like to salute myself. Uh, if I can. Uh, and with my interview with Trey Gowdy, Eric just pulled it back because I think it really works here. I'm thinking they want to get over and get done. Trey Gowdy, enlighten me. Well, it's two things. Number one, it can't be the speech because let me play similar language that even some of you have engaged in in the past. And I would make it painful. This notion that you've proven the point, therefore you need to move on, uh uh-uh. When it's uncomfortable for the other side, that's when you press the accelerator. That ain't when you start tapping the brakes. I would make it painful for the Democrats. And then what would I do? I would say, look, if you were serious— about proving this case, you could have and should have interviewed the following witnesses. And of those witnesses, you interviewed exactly none of them. You want to know what the president was thinking? You want to know who told him what? You want to know what his state of mind was? Here are the witnesses you could have talked to. So what do you think about that? You're a lawyer, too. But he said, no, no, you got to use this time. Yeah, listen, he's one of the best prosecutors I think all of us know. Um, He is exceptionally gifted in the courtroom and a brilliant legal guy. And I think that's true. That's what the Trump legal team has to think about. Like, do we only use three or four of the 16 hours that they're going to give us because we think we have the votes, so let's just wrap this up and not make it any more bloody than it has to be? Or do they use that time to go full 100 percent back in their face with the exact same stuff um, that they heard for the last two days from Democrats? I feel like Democrats wouldn't have the brakes. They have not tapped the brakes. Um, and I got to think that President Trump, um, the way that he feels about his legal team, his reputation, what's left in this fight, I got to think if it's up to him, he's going to say, spend your 16 hours playing every single one of their clips. Whether they do it or not, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I just was not impressed, <laughs> to say the least, with Trump's <laughs> team in day one. Got off to a, rough, a, a rocky start. Right. You're so nice. It was, but I'm just saying, listen, I have seen some very uh, non, uh, non-fabulous <laughs> legal arguments, and people have won their case. Listen, they know they're going to, quote, win this case, even though it's so not a legal proceeding. They know that they are not going to get to 17 votes to, you know, those GOP votes that you need to convict the president, unless something really bizarro happens in the next, you know, 24, 48 hours. Um, but I have seen people go in there and struggle and not do the best job. And honestly, what comes to mind for me is the original case of the Affordable Air- Care Act that was argued years ago at the Supreme 
Supreme Court, um, Donald really was really struggling defending the law. I mean, he had such a rough time that at one point, a break in the arguments, one of the Democratic senators who was sitting in there um, was just one bench over from me, and I heard him saying, like, we've lost this thing. This dude is terrible. Like, this is not going well. Um, so I think people can have rough starts to their arguments, but they can finish strong. So today is their opportunity. Right. This story surprised me. Nikki Haley tells Politico magazine she's basically breaking with Trump. I don't think he's in the picture in the future, she says. I don't think he can. He has fallen too far. Quote, we need to acknowledge he let us down. He went down a path he shouldn't have, and we shouldn't have followed him. We, should have, we shouldn't have listened to him, and we can't let this ever happen again. So think about this. She's definitely running for president unless something happens uh, to change her mind. And that she knows Republicans need everybody and anybody if they're going to beat the Democrats who have more numbers. Why now? I think that it's a, it is a strategic decision. I think uh, all these high-profile Republicans, especially those looking towards 2024, are going to have to make a decision. Do they say – Listen, Trump is the one who brought in an increase of minority voters and all kinds of things that people would have never expected from him. We can, you know, put this back together and move forward. Or are they going to say, listen, the party is so fractured, we have to close that chapter and we have to move forward. We can't adopt his policies. We can adopt some of his methods even, but we're not going to, uh, you know, do this cult of personality thing where we pin it on him. Um, and so I think she's made the calculation to say that's the way forward so that she's not tarred and feathered with, uh, you know, January 6th or anything else that's going to be linked and attributed to President Trump. But, you know, she's been one of his biggest defenders, and she was for the long, long time. And, and she was very bold in the moves that she made when he sent her to the U.N. And so I think that she's been very supportive of him. Uh, but I think for a lot of folks, they're getting to a place where they have to decide how far over this line do we go. And I think that it's, you know, the the party has very little time to kind of coalesce and decide what they're going to be moving forward. And she's made her choice. Wow. Uh, I just think it's devastating. It's devastating. Uh, the only thing bigger, perhaps, would be Mike Pence coming out and saying the president almost got me killed, which uh, might be the case. May happen. I mean, May happen. Right. You never know. We have not heard from the vice president. No, we do know how angry he was that day, though, and in the days following. We we know how deep that rift went be- between those two. It was a very serious break. And we do know that they did talk before they left. Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff. Crazy times. Shannon Bream handling it all tonight. Fox News at night. Go get him. Bye. 1-866-408-7669. We'll come back with your calls in just a moment. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's imagine a world in which there are 51 stars on the American flag and not 50. Where does that 51st star go? And in your gut, is it for Puerto Rico or D.C.? Hey, I don't want to compete with D.C. I am all for D.C. statehood. So I just want the star. I don't care about the number. So long as it happens and it happens soon, I'll be more than pleased. Okay, uh, that is... Pedro Pirlioso, governor of Puerto Rico. I believe he's a Republican, right? I 
I don't know off the top of my Republican. head. But we'll, we'll look that up. We'll put my best person on it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that you talk about controversial and the Biden people. They're, doing a, they're putting together a task force on fattening the courts, on examining our court system, because it turns out Trump did what he was supposed to do and fill 235 seats and three Supreme Court justice seats, so they want to change it. They also have a council uh, task force on China. They'll figure out what they can do. Do they know time is, ma- is money? And what they're doing now with green technology, telling the defense secretary, focus on, guess what? The weather, climate change, and ousting extremists in your midst. Yeah, guess who's laughing at that? All our enemies. Ron, let's see on WABC in Long Island. Hey, Ron. Yeah, hey, Brian. How are you? Hello? Hello? Ron, go ahead. You're on. Yeah, hi, uh, Brian. About this health care thing for the elderly, Cuomo was very selective in who he gave the health care services to. Because he he didn't know how bad it was going to get. So what he did was he reserved the health services for the younger, active voters. He didn't want anybody to die, but he said, listen, they're older people. They're not going to have much more life anyways. Let's save the resources for younger people. And we will show them how we're going to care for them, and they'll go out and perhaps vote for me for the services that I've given them. Um, I, I think it was it was clearly planned. I think he knew about it. I don't think he again. I don't think he wanted anybody to die, but he sure didn't give much thought to the fact that these people were facing a crisis at an elderly stage in their life. I mean, think about this, Ron. I'm going to close down everything. I'm going to shut down schools. I'm going to shut down business. I'm going to tell everyone to stay out of their offices. I want to be sure. I want to be conservative. I, this virus is lethal. It's relentless. But when it came to nursing homes, I don't know. They seem sick. They have a fever. Let's send them back. How does that even line up? With the way in which he handled this state, which has totally put its foot on its neck of small and big business, on school, kids and teachers, it doesn't line up. He, he was playing it so close to the vest and still is. And then when it comes to nursing homes, I don't know. Whatever happens, happens. And if you question me on it, I'm going to evade it. And now I'm sure that that key aid is being blasted today behind closed doors. Evidently, he's terrible to his people. That's why nine separate health officials have quit on them. Quit. Well, when we come back, we take a little break from all this and talk to uh, Frank Stallone, his unique life and his quest to be big. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So I thought this was pretty amazing. The one thing I found astounding, and there's so much I found astounding over the last month, because I did not want to start the Joe Biden era criticizing everything he's done. But the pipeline thing is inexcusable. What's happening at the border? The border is total avoid, totally avoidable. It is chaos. All the pressures on the border patrol. And think about this: we're letting people stream in in the middle of a pandemic. But then I look at schools. I mean, nonstop criticism of the vaccine distribution when it was already 900,000 a day and he he wanted to do a million. I'm not buying it. He's still complaining about it. And then when it comes to the schools, he says his goal was to open up the schools as quick as possible, right? Then when he finds out, Jen Psaki says, I'm in at least one day and 50% of schools open one day. You talk about leaving the bar low. 
62% of schools are open now more than one day, five days a week. But he's not taking on the unions, even though they have ridiculous demands in Chicago and Philadelphia and in San Francisco. They're actually suing. The Democratic mayors are outraged about their unions. Rahm Emanuel, former chief of staff with Obama. President Biden knows in his bones that children start dropping out of college in third grade if they are not in school. The rest of their lives are fundamentally changed. He's telling them, take on the unions. Former governor, Democrat of Pennsylvania, Ed Rendell, he should tell the teachers unions and the teachers, I would not have done it if the CDC didn't say it was basically a safe process. He's got to understand what's at stake. It's the most important thing. Well, joining me now, a guy I'm even a bigger fan of after I watched his documentary, Frank Stallone. Uh, by the way, Grammy-nominated artist, should have won, and uh, also nominated for a Golden Globe. Frank, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian, it's been a long time since I saw you uh, when we did Fox and Friends a long time ago outside. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I think you did a great job in this documentary. And it really oh, gave, thank you, And I think Brian. people are going to relate to it, Frank, because you have a dream. You, you're getting there. You're there. You arrive. You have a letdown. You keep going. You keep going at it. You bring up the fact that you have ups and downs in your entire life, and you're just fighting for it. And you have the respect of the most famous people in the country, including your brother. Before you comment, I want everyone to hear uh, a, the whole the trailer of the documentary we hope they download. Cut 44. In his world and his talent, he's you know, every bit as good as I am at what I try to do. He had this kind of theatrical thing. Frank was always kind of on. He sings his ass off. Always did. Frank has style, and Frank has endurance. He's a force. He's the real deal. Everybody knows, yeah, he did a little doo-wop thing in the first Rocky film, and they think, oh, that's cute. You know, Sylvester had his brother sing a little thing at the beginning. And then you dig deeper, and you find out, wow, this guy's a tremendous musical artist in his own right. So, Frank, uh, these people, wow. it's John Oates is on there, Bill Conti, yeah. your brother, Sylvester Stallone yeah. is on there, Talia Shire is on there. Even what, Geraldo. What, Her, Geraldo, yeah, Geraldo right there. You beat him up pretty bad, and he still likes you. <laughs> yeah, we, he came back. Hey, Brian, I figured you and I have the same hair because we're both half Italian. I don't know what it is. It's that curly hair. Right. As long as we have it, Frank, I'm not judgmental. <laughs> we have it. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so first off, Frank, why did you want to do this? Why did you want to do a documentary on what it took to get uh, where you are? Well, I didn't want to do it. I was—I had no intention of doing one. I was approached by uh, this young filmmaker, uh, Derek Wayne Johnson, out of Texas, and they'd just done a documentary on John Abelson, who uh, directed, um, you know, who, who directed Rocky and won the Oscar. So for some reason, we met one night in a, in a nightclub and just, you know, bump. and then one day he goes, you know what, we should do a documentary on you. And I was kind of taken back a little bit because not many people are knocking on my doors these days, you know. So I said, okay. I said, let's see what happens. So uh, when it finally came time to do it, I just gave them the names of all the people I've known over the many years. And they all uh, somehow agreed to do it. It was a lot of fun. But my only stipulation was I said, listen, you know, to get to the end, you have to have a beginning. So I really wanted to find people that I started with yep. when I was a kid in 1965, you know, so that would give it a little more of a perspective. And if they thought I was a jerk, that's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> right. It, the name of this uh, documentary is Stallone, Frank, that is. And you go to StalloneMovie.com to download it. So, Frank, you did not have an easy upbringing. 
you have the product of a divorced family, pretty much yeah. a single parent family. Tell me what it was like growing up in the Stallone house. Well, it was, you know, my father was from the old country, from Italy. He was a kind of volatile guy, could be violent at times, big, big yeller and stuff like that. So not much of a, but he was a hairdresser. So it wasn't much of a support thing as far as like the arts or anything. He was, he was very much a test maker. Of course, people know who my mother, my mother was kind of cool, a little loony, but it wasn't what you call a demonstrative family where it's like people are behind their kids 100%, you know, like some of the families that go see their kids in every play, whether they're lousy or not, you know, but, so we didn't have that. So I think uh, my brother and I were kind of left to our own, to uh, make our own way in this world. In a way, I'm not saying we were poor and we didn't live like in Red Hook or these rough sections like that, but you know, it was just mentally, you know, we had to kind of make our own game. So uh, obviously Sylvester Stallone becomes one of the great filmmakers uh, in Mm -hmm. his generation. And Mm -hmm. you are, Musically inclined almost right away. You love writing songs. You love doing music. You weren't acting yeah. until later. You had equal later. passion. Describe yeah. your journey. You had early success in a band. You even said early on you were, you were a handful to deal with, right? They thought I was a handful. I don't think I was. You know what? I was just the type of guy. I was so – all I wanted to do since I was like five years old was be Elvis Presley, and then when the Beatles got be the Beatles. So I, I wasn't really into chasing all the girls around because I was like a skinny kind of kid. And I found the guys that thought I was difficult was because we were always got along great, like a family. And then when guys start getting girlfriends and wives, it kind of really screwed up the balance of the group. Very Yoko Ono-ish. Yoko Ono, you know what I mean? Because girls would go, well, how come Frank sings all the songs? Your songs are just as good. And all of a sudden it would cause discord in the band. So then I would... You know, like they were saying in the movie, sometimes I could get a little ornery because I just really loved being in the band. And they were like my brothers. And, you know, I felt like there was an outside source coming in trying to stir things up. So so, so in, in terms of your talent, you got to respect to your peers. John Oates from Hall & Oates. Here's what he said oh, yeah. about you working with you. Cut 46. When I came to my first rehearsal with the band, I immediately knew Frank was the force in the band. It was his thing, you know, he, he, had a, he had a lot of charisma, he had a lot of presence, and he had a really great voice. And he looked good, you know, he's always very concerned with how he presented himself, you know, in terms of how he dressed and how he looked. I think he had a very kind of professional approach to this kind of hippie band that we had. He was always like up to something. I remember one day he came in, he was wearing like pancake makeup, and I couldn't figure out why because we were rehearsing in a church or something. It was very weird, and, but, but he had this thing, he had, he had this kind of theatrical thing. He was always kind of performing. Frank was always kind of on. <laughs> Do you know what he, you know what he's talking about? That's before he. But that wasn't you know, pancakes makeup. That was Clearasil because my face I had zits. That was the pancake. <laughs> I makeup. did not know that. Here's that your was an overabundance of Clearasil. Now when I think about it, I never wore pancake makeup, but I was very self conscious. You know, at that age, your skin gets like things like you know, and so I would just take on Clearasil, which did look like you know cooking batter. You know. So one of the first times we see you is in Rocky One. Yes. What did you do in Rocky One as an actor and a writer? Well, in Rocky One, I was just, you know, I had my band, and we were, you know, working on a deal with RCA Records. My brother called me about six months before. He goes, listen, I'm doing a movie about boxing. I want you to write a song. So he lost me right there. I have no idea what what he's talking about. So he said, you know, do something like I used to do when you were a kid, doo-wop singing on the street corner. So... 
I wrote the song Take You Back, kind of forgot about it for a while, and then the next thing, he appears in uh, Philadelphia. He goes, there you got that song? I go, yeah. So the rest is history. We went out there. The band didn't really want to do it because we were making $140 for the whole band in one night. So they didn't want to do it, and then they coerced us. The movie company said, we'll give you 140 each. Now, that was like a month's wages for us back in the day. So we did it, and, you know, staying on the street corner doing our thing. That was my group, Valentine. That was my band. And we just forgot about it, and then, like, less than a year later, this thing exploded bigger than anyone could ever imagine. Here's, uh, here's your brother, Sylvester, talking about you, Cut 48. He knew those streets, and he did sing around barrels, and he did do a cappella. So he was extremely original and authentic for that part. And the attitude that you saw between us, like, hey, the bum from the dock, get a job, you bum. That's the way we are. We're just, you know, always ripping on one another. Because that's what he turned around and said to you. Um, so, yeah. so in the we, movie. We, all, we still today, we're ripping on each other this morning. Yeah, always, you know. Uh, so, so Frank, you're making it. I didn't sense, there was never, didn't seem to me in the movie that you were ever jealous of Sylvester. But was it tough knowing how hard you're working, feeling uh-huh. like you're talented, getting this feedback but not breaking through, and then your brother uh, becomes Rocky and Rambo and yeah. everything he became? Yeah, it was kind of a, it was out of left field because, I mean, if you knew him growing up, the last thing you would ever think he would be is a movie star. Maybe a safe cracker, maybe a juvenile delinquent, but you would never think he'd become this major movie star. So they always thought, you know, Frank's like really serious about his music. So, and I was saying, well, you know, when I make it, I'm going to support my brother and invest in his films because he was writing scripts. Of course, there was a 360 turnaround on that. And, uh, you know, no, I was never really jealous. I was just bugged that, you know, I invested. By the time Rocky came out, I'd been a professional musician 12 years. And, you know, I was always known for, you know, Frank's band, Frank this, Frank singing, you know, because there weren't a lot of bands in those days like there are now. So all of a sudden it was overnight. I just lost my identity. I just became Rocky's brother, not Frank Stallone anymore. So it was kind of a weird thing. It would have been different. Like if I was like a kid and I'd never done anything, you know, but I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a hard thing to do, but I was in, you know, I was, uh, I had too much time invested in this thing and I loved it and I never really got into it for the money. And that's, I know people think it's hard. I'm not like Mark Cuban, a guy at six years old that wants to be rich. I was never like that. You know, I was a guy I just really loved doing playing the music, you know? So it was a little tough, but you know, you have to, uh, Go for the extra yardage, you know what I mean? So you also got into a little bit of acting. You were in Barfly. Uh, here you are yes. with Mickey Rourke. Let's listen. Cut 42. Yeah. Hey, you. You with the filthy apron. I hear a voice down there, but I sure as hell don't see much. Seems like that beating I gave you last night must have rattled your bells, huh? Remember ordering a draft, Barkeep. What, do you want a brew? Is that lobotomy finally taking home? Let you ride your head right through that wall today. I pulled my punches on you last night. Ends up being, ends up Barfly end up getting a lot of people's respect. They say, wait, Frank can act. Well, you know, but nothing ever came of it. It's really funny, I, uh, Brian. I get these, you know, a lot of times these young directors, they don't really recognize me at first because in Barfly and in Tombstone, I had a mustache. The only two movies out of 75 movies, 77 movies that had a mustache. And guys come up to me and go, hey, man, 
loved you in Barfly. I'm a young director, but they never offered me a part. <laughs> it's, like, it's like really weird. You know, loved you in Tombstone. I go, great. You know, thinking they'll go, hey, you know, I'm doing a movie. I'd love you to be in it. Never. <laughs> so, but but Frank, no. this is the thing. You you kind of laugh it off in, in Staying Alive, the sequel to uh, Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Your brother's directing, mm-hmm. and the Bee Gees yeah. are going to play the soundtrack. And you keep telling yeah. your brother, "I'll write some music." They go, "Hey, we got the Bee Gees." All of a sudden, the Bee Gees yeah. drop out. He calls yeah. you up and says, where, "Where are your songs?" They take eight of your songs, and you get yeah. nominated for a Grammy and a Golden Globe. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was a divine intervention, Brian. Because I mean, I. I probably shot my load at that point because I I was now 32 years old. I started at 15. Nothing's really happened. I'm just playing little bars in Santa Monica and stuff. You know, going from Rocky, you know, Rocky two, Rocky three, and I'm just like kind of now this pedestrian guy. And then all of a sudden, I you know I went when I went to the office to uh, say, hey, do you think there's a chance of me to get any songs in this movie? They, it was in uh, Absolute no. Okay, so when everyone dropped out, they went to Hall of Notes. He went to Billy Joel. He went to everyone to see if they could get the soundtrack going. And then my brother called me up, and he's funny because he has two voices when he calls. One, he's mad at me, hey, Frank. Next one is, hey, brother. So I knew he wanted something. Okay, so he goes, "Do you remember those songs he wrote?" I go, "Yes, I do." He goes, "Well, we're in big trouble right now." So I, all of a sudden, so I went down there. John heard the songs. And he loved them. John Travolta. I think I mirrored John because those songs are somewhat autobiographical of myself at the time. It was almost like the same character, John Travolta, Tony Manero, wanting to be legit, you know, and stuff like that in the business. So it kind of – so when I wrote Far From Over, it was the same thing. I am down, but I am far from over. So in other words, that last punch coming in, that last thing that – to see if it works, and for some reason it, it resonated with the the company, and there you go. If you want to hear Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone agree on one thing, Frank is talented and one of the nicest, greatest guys you're ever going to meet. you got to go get uh, Stallone. Go to StalloneMovie.com, www.StalloneMovie.com. Download it, and Frank, just promise me you're not going to quit because people that see you, you pack the place. Hey, when this pandemic is done, uh, you go back to working hard because if there's any justice in this world, uh, you're going to be just as famous as your brother. Frank, thanks so much. Frank, thank you, my brother. Thank you very much. Appreciate right. it. Great job. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap things up for this hour. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call 833-600-GOLD to secure your retirement. Mardi Gras as we know it has been shut down. We are not putting beads before bodies. Mardi Gras shut down in New Orleans. I know they're so tight. I know the blocks are so tight. I know it's probably a spread fest, but it is sad. A year later, no Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Think about all the tourists that won't show. Think about all the businesses that won't get anything. It's just so negative, right? It is. And you can see both sides to this. But um, one of the owners said, like, during Mardi Gras, they can make, like, $250,000. So they're just not getting it. People are going to go elsewhere and drink, right? Other places are still open, just not Bourbon Street. And when you talk about drinking, you're talking about Eric, right? (laughs) Next. I am. (laughs) 
The Chappelle Show is back on Netflix. That's kind of good. Chappelle says he got what he wanted from Comedy Central, millions of dollars, and rights to the show. Uh, the show's return is streaming on Friday. Might be the best comedian in the country. Dave said to his fans, when you stop watching it, they called me, and I got my name back, and I got my license back, and I got my show back, and they paid me millions. Thank you very much. Next. Pelosi banned Cong- this congresswoman, this new one, uh, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, is back in Washington. Now just a 10 seat advantage for Democrats, but when she wanted her son to attend her swearing in because it was such a long standoff, guess what? Pelosi says no. Listen. And we asked, you know, repeatedly, can we, can I just have my son in the gallery? We're not talking about on the House floor. And uh, there was no stated reason other than it was indicated that it was not safe. And uh, interesting, Nancy Pelosi allowed a COVID positive member to be in the chamber just so she could vote for Nancy uh, Pelosi on the floor of the House. It's this type so- of stuff that is just inexcusable, right? Inexcusable, shameful. It's It should get more attention. Military. And her son. Just a quick thing. USC, the students, they want to abolish the campus police. The most compliant, nicest police you'll ever get. They usually get to know everybody. Ban the campus police. What is wrong with California? Let the students fend for themselves. Yeah. Believe me, you're going to need some support there, and it gets kind of crazy. Do you know where you are? USC is not in a good area. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.